What if you could be doing something smarter with your money that creates income now? If you're wanting to get ahead financially and enjoy greater freedom of choice, if you want a comfortable retirement and you know you'll have more choices if you can do more with your money now, if you've wondered who else is creating ways to make their money work for them and you want actionable ideas with honest pros and cons and no fluff, welcome to the Richer Geek Podcast. We're here helping people find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. I'm Mike Stoller, and in this podcast, you'll hear from others who are already doing these things and learn how you can too. All right, everybody, welcome back to another great episode of the Richard Geek. We're welcoming welcoming uh, Douglas Ludmel. And uh, we're excited to have him on, and he's going to talk about some asset protection. I know a lot of you are uh, asking questions about uh, when and where and how and all of that. Uh, so welcome, Douglas. How you doing? Thanks, Mike. I'm doing great. Good. You staying out of the heat? Yeah, actually, I'm in Colorado <laughs> for the summer, so out of the heat of Scottsdale. Yeah, it's 117 down there or something. Yeah, yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I still golf in the heat, but boy. You're it, crazy. I, I, well, that's what they say. <laughs> We're committed. About. I'm both, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, I, I did just get back from a vacation in uh, Wisconsin golfing. Oh, nice. So that was nice. Uh, but yeah. that is when I appreciate the dry heat. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, Arizona's not so bad, really. It's it's not. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, we're going to talk about asset protection. Um, tell us about yourself and uh, your firm and what you guys do. Sure, sure. I'm uh, the managing partner of Lodmel & Lodmel. We're an asset protection law firm. That's all we do is asset protection. We've been doing it for uh, 20, since 1997 to almost 25 years now. Um, my partner is my father, Gary. He really started this and, um, you know, we focus on helping people protect their assets primarily from lawsuits, but you know, it really is almost anything that could affect your wealth. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, we've worked with a lot of real estate folks. We work with a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business owners, and there's lots of nuances to all of it. Um, and, you know, over the past 25 years, 25 years ago, we said, I'm an asset protection attorney. People really didn't even know what that was. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was really like, okay, what does that mean? Today, everyone knows what it is. And asset protection has really kind of come of age. It's, it's a thing now. The problem when something kind of hits that tipping point is that the amount of misinformation mm -hmm. is, is massive and filtering through all that can get very confusing if you're the consumer. Mm -hmm. You're trying to figure out what, what's the wheat and what's the chaff. And um, so hopefully on this, we can, we can help everybody who's listening really kind of sort out what's, you know, what the real story is with all these different things you hear about, offshore trusts and LLCs and holding companies. And you know, how do they all fit together and when do you need them? Um, all those things matter. And it's all, it's all very confusing until you get it figured out. Well, it is. And even when, you know, there, there's a lot of attorneys out there that can draw things up. Sure. But that's all they do. You know, you know I, I'm sitting with a lot of different asset protection things. 
that someone said I needed and I had, you know, here it is. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> okay. Uh, but you know, what can I put, you know, it's like, how does it work? You know? So we're going to, let's, let's first get into, um, Asset protection has been around for a long time. I figure ever since yeah. someone made a lot of money, they wanted to protect their assets. Yeah. What was kind of the beginning of when people, you know, I'm sure it goes back to the Rockefeller trusts and, mm -hmm. and all those different things with, with the FLPs and things like that. But uh, where, where did it start? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. It's a really helpful thing, too, to understand where asset protection came from. It really did come from the, the original, um, even English common law, uh, uh, respected and had the concept of a trust. And trusts are very powerful because um, the Rockefellers and the Vanderbilts and all the, the families that had wealth, um, when they gave their money away, the smart ones gave it in trust. And so what they do is they create a trust and they say, okay, this is for my kids. It's for my grandkids, even my great grandkids, but I don't want them to just blow it. And so I'm going to put some provisions around it that say they can get it under these circumstances, but not under these circumstances, or they can get an allowance for this. But if they want the principal, they have to come up with meet these requirements. Um, and by the way, I don't want your, their creditors to get it. And I don't want their ex-spouses to get it. And those concepts ended up becoming known as spendthrift provisions because a spendthrift is somebody who can't hold on to money. They're a spendthrift. They just, they just go through money like water. Well, spendthrift provisions are provisions in a trust document which protect that person from their own spendthriftness, their own inability to hold on and, and invest properly and, and manage money, which a lot of wealthy kids and grandkids had that problem. They grew up with money and it was just, you know, they just couldn't, they, they didn't make it. So they didn't, they didn't take care of it. So spendthrift provisions and that concept of a trust, that was really the beginning of asset protection. And, and you'll see later in the podcast, you know, when we get to today's tools, the trust is still a major component. It's still the biggest component of an asset protection plan. Um, from there, things like corporations and eventually limited, li uh, limited partnerships first, and then eventually limited liability companies came along. And we started using those to augment and to, to bolster the concept of a trust. And then ultimately, this concept of a trust was expanded to be able to include yourself. So when the Vanderbilt set up a trust for kids and grandkids, that was fine, but they weren't ever allowed to set up a trust for themselves. And they probably never thought of it. They could manage their own money. Mm -hmm. Well, today in an asset protection trust, that's exactly what we're doing. We're setting up a trust for ourselves. We're, we're actually making and adding those all-powerful spendthrift provisions. So it's it's pretty amazing what we can do today with, with asset protection, and in particular with an asset protection trust. Okay, and now you don't have to have their wealth no. to start thinking about asset protection. So before we get into the different types, you know, let's talk about uh, a lot of our listeners are in the tech world. They make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. uh, they may do some type of passive investing. They may get an LLC because the maybe the general partner said, hey, and if you're going to invest with me, let's do a an LLC. Yeah. And so when can you start thinking about asset protection? Yeah, Mike, that's really an important question. The answer is you should start thinking about it the minute you're doing any kind of investing, even your first one, your first $50,000 down payment on a rental home or $50,000 investment in a syndication, you should start thinking about it. 
are you going to need all the sophisticated tools at that time? No, but thinking about it, understanding it, knowing what your game plan is and when you need to add those tools is really critical. Um, I have a philosophy start at the end. Um, if I'm buying a house, I, I look at the, 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 the highest end houses and I work my way down. I don't look at, at where I think I want to be and try to work my way up. I think that holds true with anything and everything in life. Start at the end where you see yourself and then work your way back to where you are today because you've built now the mindset and the strategy to actually get there. So the answer is start thinking about it immediately and, um, and, and understand where you're going. Now, you know, so let's start talking about some of the tools that we can use. And, uh, you know, everyone knows LLC. Yeah. And now everyone is starting to learn that an LLC is a good start. Right. Protects you from some things. But then what's the next step up? You know, you have uh, you have a will, you have a trust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then there are different types of trust. Uh, so where, you know, let's talk about some of the, some of the things that we can do now. Sure. So LLC really is a great place to start. So I was just on the phone with some clients. Um, they're, they're just starting out. They they're it's, it's two partners. They're going to buy a house together. They're going to rent it, Airbnb it and so forth. Um, they're both going to put $50,000 down. What they need is an LLC. This protects them from each other. It protects the, the, their creditors, the, you know, the, the, from, from the house. Um, and it, it's an opportunity for, to have, make a really clear agreement about what happens if one dies, et cetera. And because they're each investing 50000 for a total of 100000 that's really all they need. They don't need a holding company on top of that. It's going to do all the job they need. And that's, and that's where they're going to begin. And that's where a lot of people would begin. Once you get up, let's say that, that this client does it with another person or on their own, and they start doing two or three LLCs with $50,000 each in it. Now we start looking at something called a holding company. And a holding company sits on top of the LLC and can have as many LLCs underneath it as the client needs. And a holding company can be either another LLC, or I actually prefer use, using something called a limited partnership. Now, a limited partnership has the exact same statutory protection as an LLC, meaning that a creditor can't go in and foreclose on the underlying assets. But it has a distinction between the general partnership interest and the limited partnership interest. And um, it's a little bit older of a tool. They were around before the LLCs. Um, even today, a lot of real estate syndication deals will still use limited partnerships because they like that distinction between the general partner, which is the controlling partner, and the limited partner, which is the non-controlling partner. In an LLC, if you want to make that structure work, you'd have to, you'd have to do it through the operating agreement by creating different classes of membership interest. But in an, a limited partnership, it's automatic. The statute lays it out. Um, and there's a principle in law, you always want to use something statutorily if you can. And then if you can't, then you, you, you draft it. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and when we get to the third tool, which is that asset protection trust, the limited partnership is ideal. And, and that's really why I like it is because again, if you're starting at where you're going to end up, which is with a, an asset protection trust at the top, then the holding company being a limited partnership is better. In my opinion, mm -hmm. it works better. Uh, and I use a specific jurisdiction for that holding company. Um, I like Arizona because of the laws there, because of the maintenance requirements there, which are almost none. 
Um, and because of some of the unique pieces of a statute, again, mainly connected to how we connect that asset protection trust. Um, so, so I would, yeah, you know, that's kind of the LLC, then the holding company is the next step. So once you get into, uh, for instance, if, if our listeners get uh, big enough, you know, we have, I have two hotels, a dozen homes, it's multifamily. Once you start getting, yeah. now you have 15, $20 million worth of assets you have liabilities that are different in the hotels than they may be in the homes. Uh, that's where the, the asset protection trust comes in. Or do you, is there something else now that we need to, pro- I want to protect myself from someone slipping on the sidewalk yeah. or doing something like that. But I also want to protect uh, my family, you know, mm-hmm. uh, my personal wealth, my homes, uh, is, is that where we get into the different type of um, trust or mm-hmm. do we need to then get into maybe an FLP, you know, that type of limited partnership? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, again, really good point. So the LLC, the holding company, the limited partnership, I call it an asset management limited partnership, but it can be used exactly like a family limited partnership, which is the FLP you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So it does double duty. It protects assets and it, it, can, it can plan. You can add your children in there. You can start to do gifting in there. Certainly, if you have $20 million assets, we definitely want to be talking about gifting and adding family members. Um, the asset protection trust is absolutely appropriate. The reality is, is the asset protection trust is appropriate at about a million dollars of protectable net worth. So you might have $5 million of assets, $4 million of liability. That means you have a million dollars of net equity. So we start adding that asset protection trust when we hit that million dollars of net equity. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So not just the gross value, but the net value after you subtract the debt. Um, and then the limited partnership definitely before that. And in my school of thought, we, that limited partnership is the holding company. So I believe in simplicity. Mm-hmm. I want as few moving parts as I can get. I, I, I don't, there are some attorneys out there, um, that love complication. <laughs> I'm not sure why, and maybe they feel like they charge more or they they're doing more uh, of a job if they make it complicated or somehow it's stronger if no one can understand it, but my experience has been if my clients don't understand what they have, they're not going to hang on to it. Mm-hmm. They're going to get pushback from their CPA. They're, you know, And in a legal sense, um, there have been cases where judges have looked at things and just said, no one in their right mind would do something this complicated. I'm just going to, I can't understand it. I'm throwing it all out. I'm going to just pretend it doesn't exist because it's just mm-hmm. too complicated. So I'm not a fan of unlimited complication. I'm actually a fan of simplicity. As few LLCs as we need, one holding company, unless we need a second one, and that's rarely do we need a second one, and then straight to the asset protection trust. So let's focus on having the strongest tool at the top and get that in there sooner rather than later and not you know layers and layers and layers of complication. Your CPA will thank you, by the way, because we're talking about, in most cases, just one tax return. Because if you make an LLC a single member, and that single member is the holding company, that LLC is disregarded for tax purposes and doesn't have to file its own tax return. Yeah, it's it's funny. I have, you know, personal uh, situations where you you go in and buy a hotel and then 
I'm like, you know, so how many LLCs do you want me to have? Right, right. Exactly. You know, okay. Wait you a have, second. You have one that holds the loan, and then you have one where the limited partners, and then mine, and then the management company LLC, right, right. and they're all owned by the holding company. And then it's even the bankers are like, okay, I'm going to have to. They don't understand a, it. They're going to have yeah. to draw a tree. Yeah. You know, to see how, where all this is. And, and yes, and you will listeners like the simplicity because when you get the CPA bill yeah, and you're like, okay. And they're like, oh, well, you have all these LLCs and right. You know, we got to do it. We have to do it. Um, right. Now, when we get into trusts and then FLPs and, and the different ways of the protection, what can, what can I put in my assets? You know, there's one theory out there that says like within the FLP, uh, there can't be any loans attached. So it's only things that are maybe like paid off that you can protect or is so, that? Yeah. I, I mean, I, the way I see it is I separate things into risky assets, things like real estate, boats, airplanes, cars, anything with a door, a key, a lock, you know, anybody can slip on it. It's risky. Mm -hmm. um, it can burn down. It's risky and safe assets and safe assets are cash, stocks, bonds, cryptocurrency. You know, nobody can trip and fall on your bond account and sue you because they tripped on your bond account. So that's the big distinguisher. If it's risky, I want to put it in an LLC first because an LLC does exactly what the name implies, limits the liability. So we'll take a risky rental property, we'll put it in an LLC and we might put two or three rental properties in there. So if you only have $50,000 of equity in each rental property, I'm okay with putting three or four or five of them in one LLC. If you've got a shopping center, a strip mall that has a million dollars of equity, that demands its own LLC. You wouldn't want to mix that in with the rental property. So we determine how many LLCs are needed. And every time one of my clients buys a new asset, they call me and go, Doug, I'm buying a new asset. And we talk about it and we say, okay, well, do, is there an existing LLC we should add it to, or does it need a new LLC? And again, I'm trying to keep it simple. They're trying to keep it simple. The accountant's trying to keep it simple. If we can add it to an existing one, we will. Mm -hmm. If it really needs its own, we'll do that. So Anything risky will be in an LLC before it goes into the holding company. Mm -hmm. But once it's in that LLC, then it's free to go into the holding company. The cash, stocks, bonds, investments, um, coins, cryptocurrency, none of that is risky. And it can go directly into the holding company, the limited partnership, that asset management limited partnership. So what you end up with, again, pretty simple. The holding company is holding all the safe stuff directly. Mm -hmm. And then it's holding all the membership interest in the risky LLCs. Um, and, and in that way, again, we keep it simple, but we've got everything protected and also isolated. So if you got a property and it has a mold claim and it starts to explode, well, it's in its LLC, we can cut it off and it, it doesn't affect the rest of the assets. Now, how about my personal assets? Because then I want to protect um from liability if anything were to happen because i i know when an attorney gets a case they'll say okay how easy is it going to be for me to sue this person right what do they have is it worth my time if they look at all right wow okay he has a million dollar personal house he has a, a house in colorado or, or you mm -hmm. know a second house somewhere uh, okay those are assets that are worth some things he has two or three cars he has 
you know, um, the personal stuff. Now, can I put protect my personal stuff in, can I put it in a trust or within the FLP to where they're, the attorneys are like, oh, nah, you know, it, it's going to be too hard for me to break into that. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what we're going to do. So, so your personal stuff is going to go into either the holding company mm -hmm. or it's going to go into an LLC underneath the holding company. So like your second home in Colorado might, might need to be under an LLC underneath the holding company. So we got it protected, but it's, it's still available for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> your primary residence, <coughs> excuse me, is, is different and unique because, um, it has a couple of benefits. It has tax-free capital gain when you sell it. So you don't want to mess that up. That's a freebie that if you're married, that's 500,000 bucks, at least as of today, right? <laughs> um, it has home mortgage interest deduction. So that's another freebie. It doesn't have to offset any income. You just get it. And, and then you've got a homestead exemption. So if you're in a state like Florida or Texas, that homestead exemption is unlimited. So we don't want to mess that up. When you put an asset like your primary residence into an LLC, there's now a question mark as to whether it's really your primary residence or is it an investment property? Mm -hmm. And so the primary residence is the one asset that we treat very differently. And it goes directly into that asset protection trust. So just what you said, it goes right into the trust. That trust set up properly is going to be a grantor trust. And what that means is that it does not affect those three benefits we just talked about, the tax-free capital gain, the home mortgage interest deduction, and the homestead exemption. But we're also protecting the equity in the home. So where I run into this a lot is California. Uh, everybody's got a ton of equity because the property has gone up there. I mean, a little tiny three-bedroom home is you know, a million and a half bucks. So um, everything is very expensive there. And so people end up with a lot of equity in their primary residence, not knowing how to protect it. Well, we protect it with that asset protection trust. Um, and in particular, a type of asset protection trust called the bridge trust. And we can talk about that if you'd like. Sure. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're wanting to talk about all the things that, um, and we can talk about the bridge trust. Now, what does the mortgage companies, how, how do they, are they going to say, well, wait a minute, you just put something in a trust and you know, can you do that? And yep. Yep. So, so that's a really good question. So um, when revocable living trusts first came out in the sixties, they became really popular again, especially in California where there's statutory probate fees for lawyers that start at 3%. Mm -hmm. And so people wanted to put all their assets in these revocable trusts. And when they started putting their homes in there, the bank said, Oh no, no, you can't do that. And, and they said, well, why not? It's just a grant or trust. It's the type of trust where it's not, I'm not really changing anything. It's still mine. And so what happened is that Congress actually passed an act called the Garn St. Germain act. And what that says is that a bank cannot resist or object or call your loan. If you put it into a grant or trust. So putting your home into the bridge trust does not trigger your mortgage clause at all because of Garn St. Germain, because it's a grant or trust. Um, and that's important. Um, also, your investment properties, they might have uh, mortgages on them. And, we, and, and so some people will call me and they'll already have five or six investment properties and they've never put them in LLCs. In that case, we, we, Garn St. Germain doesn't apply because they're not going into a trust. They're going into an LLC. Mm -hmm. So you really have a couple of choices. You ask your bank for permission and you tell them what you're doing. And usually the bank will come back and go, well, great. Yeah, we're happy to do that. But we're going to bump your rate by half a percent because now it's a commercial loan. 
or you just go ahead and transfer it because it doesn't affect the mortgage on uh, the bank still has every right to that claim, you know, to the thing. And yes, you are creating a situation where the bank technically has the ability to call your note. Uh, but in doing this in the past 25 years, I have had only two clients ever call me and say, Hey, the bank objected. And in both cases, the bank ultimately gave the permission. So it's not really been a problem. And most of the time we just recommend clients go ahead and make the transfer into the LLC without, without worrying about the bank. Yeah. Cause banks aren't in the business of being landlords, right? You know, so they, no, they don't want your property. They don't want your property. And that's one of the biggest questions that I get is, well, wait a minute, my, my bank, we can't transfer the name into an LLC because my bank will call it due. And I'm like, what are yeah. the chances? They, they want the payment. That, as long as you're not past due, if you're, if you're, if you're not making your payment, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But if you're making your payment, they're not even going to look, they won't even know that you made the transfer. Um, and again, uh, you know, even if they notice, all you say is, hey, I've did this for uh, my planning purposes, my, my attorneys recommended, and then you deal with it at that point. And again, it's very rare that I've had any clients have to deal with that. Yeah, I, th I think the only time that they would ever do it is if the interest rates went up to 12% all of a sudden. Right, yeah, they start you going know, through saying, who's done they this? they start Let's going get... through. Yeah, <laughs> that's you possible. Know, you know, let's all call them due, you know, because yeah. we don't want these three, three and a half percent loans. That's right. Um, that's right. So let, let's pray that that doesn't happen. Yeah, that's, for lots of reasons, <laughs> for right? For lots of reasons, exactly. Um, now, something that's very interesting that I know your firm does is offshore protection right uh well before we get into that let's get into you, you said the bridge trust well you actually it's a great segue is, because is they're all connected yeah okay. so so the best way to understand asset protection trust is to understand that the concept of it is just like the trust that vanderbilt and rockefeller used which is a trust that is set up with spendthrift provisions which limit a creditor's access to those assets mm -hmm. that's the key but what makes an asset protection trust unique is that it is a grantor trust, meaning it's set up by you, for you, it's self-settled, mm -hmm. and you're your own beneficiary. And so that's what makes it unique. And you have those spendthrift provisions in there. So before 1984, you couldn't do this kind of trust anywhere in the world. There was no jurisdiction that said, hey, you can set up a Vanderbilt-style you know, spendthrift trust for yourself. It just didn't exist. And in 1984, a little country called the Cook Islands passed a statute, which specifically allowed for you to set up a spendthrift trust for yourself with yourself as the beneficiary. And that was kind of revolutionary. I mean, it was a big deal. And a lot of attorneys in the US thought, oh my God, this is never going to fly. US people shouldn't do this. They're, you know, The courts are going to deny that it's applicable here. Um, so it was done only offshore for, for about 10, 15 years. It was only available offshore. Mm -hmm. um, then in 1989 or 1998, Alaska said, hey, why are we sending all this business offshore? It's just a statute. We can pass a statute allowing for the same thing. So Alaska passed a statute allowing for the same thing. And then Nevada said, well, we're not going to be left behind we're passing a statute and Wyoming said, we're not left behind in Delaware. And so now today we actually have 19 us states that have passed a domestic form of an asset protection trust. So here's where all the confusion lies, Mike, this is the whole deal. And, and, and we're going to clear it all up right now. So offshore 
when we're talking about an offshore asset protection trust, we're talking about a tax neutral grant or trust, but it is foreign. And so the advantages of it are that when you have a foreign asset protection trust with an offshore trustee in that jurisdiction, the protection is, is, is a hundred out of a hundred. It's the highest we can get, you know, it's 99.99%. It's incredibly strong because the, 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 the trust is offshore, the control of the trust is offshore, and ideally the assets themselves are also offshore in a Swiss bank account. So that's the gold you know, standard. That's the, the going to the nth degree in the offshore world. The downside of that is that, as you can imagine, it's fairly expensive. You have trustees fees to pay, plus it requires a fair amount of IRS compliance. Because if you have a foreign trust, the IRS treats you differently than if you have a domestic trust. And they make you file something called a 3520 and then annually a 3520A. And these are pretty complete forms, full balance sheet disclosure of all the trust, the trust assets, all the partners of the trust, up to and including a copy of the trust. So it's a pretty big deal. And there's no extra tax, but it is compliance. So I tell clients they need to budget at least $10,000 a year to maintain a fully foreign trust. And ideally, you set up an offshore bank account and you'd have at least some, if not most of your assets offshore. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of the one side of, of the equation. The other side is this domestic asset protection trust that's now available in 19 U.S. states. The advantage of that is that it's domestic. So it doesn't have the foreign trust compliance requirements but you still have to have a trustee in that jurisdiction. They'd still have to be in control of the assets Mm -hmm. and it's less expensive to set up and it's less expensive to maintain. It's probably only four or $5,000 a year to maintain that type of trust. However, the downside of the domestic trust is that in the case law since 1998, they haven't held up particularly well. Um, We've had a lot of failures of those trusts. And the reason is that it's still in the U.S., And we have something called Article 4, Section 1 of the Constitution, which says that the states must grant full faith and credit to the laws and judicial proceedings of the other states. So if you get a judgment in California and you take it to Texas or vice versa, they have to domesticate the judgment. They have to put it in the court system. They have to respect it. If you take a judgment from California down to the Cook Islands, it's worth zero down there. You, it, it, it has no respect. Cook Islands is statutorily prohibited from recognizing a jurisdiction from any other country. So, so the domestic ones are easier to use, but haven't proven to be as safe. So here's the deal. If you are either exceedingly wealthy and you want a nest egg, 10 or $20 million in an offshore trust, that's a good use for an offshore trust. If you are, have an exceedingly high risk profile, and, and you're really taking a ton of risk, um, that's another good reason for an offshore trust. But the average investor, you know, entrepreneur, they really don't need an offshore trust. And it's probably much more than they want to pay for and they want to maintain. Mm-hmm. However, the domestic trust isn't really a great option because they haven't worked so well. This is where the bridge trust comes in. And what the bridge trust is, is it's a hybrid between an offshore and a domestic trust. So it starts its life as an offshore asset protection trust. It's registered offshore, but then it's bridged back. And for the purposes of the U.S. compliance, it's treated as a domestic trust. So it 
basically gets to be treated with a simple tax equation, no 3520. Um, I make the clients the trustees of that trust, so they get direct control of the trust. And then we have the offshore trust company in a standby role. So it's really kind of the ideal structure. You get all the benefits of the offshore if we have to use it in the 2% of the time that my clients call me and that really is the right move is to cross that bridge. The other 98% of the time, we're just treated like a domestic trust, no special tax reporting, no EIN, um, no tax return for the trust. It's just treated as a simple domestic grantor trust. Um, and so for most of my clients, I'd say 95%, the bridge trust, when they hit that million dollar mark of, of net equity um, is the right choice. And then for about 5%, they meet those other two criteria. They're either wanting to nest egg an amount of money or their risk profile is so high that we want to just go straight offshore. Now, where does the bridge trust stack on? I have my LLCs, I have my holding company, I have my family revocable trust, living trust revocable living yeah. trust also we may have an flp well the flp is the holding companies in our in okay, our model we're going to combine company. them yep so so where we put the the bridge trust is as the majority limited partner which would be above and owning the majority like 98% of that limited partnership holding company of that asset management limited partnership holding company, which is holding all your assets, all your liquid assets, all your safe assets directly. And then it's also holding all the LLC interests that you have for all the risky assets. So basically all your assets are in the holding company and then in turn all in the trust. So we've got the protection and then the estate planning trust sits down and off to the side. And then at your death, the bridge trust will look down to the estate planning trust and make the transition and pour into the estate planning trust. You know, listeners, you know, if you're listening to this, this is why you have professionals. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it, it seems, you know, uh, complicated, like there's a lot of levels, but I know with your decades of experience, it's, it's not, you do it all the time. Yeah. So, you know, listeners, if you are starting to, uh, I, I know some of our listeners are working full time, but they own a, a business outside yeah. of, you know, and it could be convenience store, it could be uh, exercise facilities, bar, you know, facilities, um, online, online business of some online sort. marketing businesses, mm -hmm. and, you know, and they're, they're branching out, you know, that is when you need to sit there and say, okay, how can I protect myself from lawsuits? Because we are in the society of, of, of lawsuits. I mean, everyone, that's what yeah. people do this for a living. They yeah, go around they and try to sue. They do. Um, you know, I, I've had that with multifamily and it's particular, uh, you know, in the hotels with, with uh, just silliness, yeah. you know, but, but it right. costs me money. Yeah. You know, of and, and, so I need to know, and my, you know, the listeners need to know, um, how can I protect it? So everybody, once you start getting multiples of things, uh, that's when you need to sit there and say, okay, you know, now at, at first you want the LLC and then you want at least, is this right, Douglas? You, you want at least, um, the family trust. Well, yeah. So your, your revocable living trust that is your state plan, you want that and the LLC. Those would be the first two things you'd set up. 
and the LLC. And then as you grow a little bit, you have to have that holding company yep. that protects. That's the, the big umbrella. Yep. Um, and I would think about that at around $250,000, the holding company. Around two hundred of, of Of protectable. Again, not, not gross. So you might have a million dollars worth of property, but if your mm-hmm. equity is not two fifty, dollars then you're, you're not right quite there. So at about two fifty dollars of equity that you can protect, mm-hmm. start thinking about the holding company. Yeah. And, you know, for those listeners that you may have all of this, mm-hmm. is it set up? And I, I'm talking to the listeners. Is it set up properly? I have a bunch of things, but I have no clue what's in it or if I filled it out correctly or, you know, right. or if it's in, in the right order. I just was told by people like Douglas, this is what you need, you know, pay me right, this right. amount. And they give me a 40 page document. And I'm like, okay, uh, now what? You know, what goes yeah. in it? And did I do anything wrong? Exactly. And, you know, if you go into a situation where you're being sued, believe me, the other attorney is going to be smarter than you. And he's going to look to see if you did things correctly, see if there's any holes in it. Yeah. Uh, so it's very important, everyone, uh, get with Douglas, get with Lodmel, uh, his, his firm. And just see if you did it right or, you know, get a consultation with him just to see if, uh, answer any questions, just to see if you need anything like that. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And and Mike, that's the best advice is just, just get a consult, understand what you have and where it sits and, and, and in the, the big picture of things. And, um, if it's right, good, you'll know, you'll feel more confident about it. If it's not, you get the chance to correct it. Yeah. Well, Douglas, it's been uh, wonderful having you on. It's been uh, very enlightening and educational. And everyone, I hope you have learned something today. And again, if you have any questions, uh, he is there. Now, how can, if they have questions, how can they find you? What is your website? What is? Yeah. So, so if you go to lodmel.com, L-O-D-M-E-L-L.com, you can see a lot of videos. There's a, something called the key concepts of asset protection down at the bottom of that page. It's a series of videos. I really recommend you watch that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also just email me. My name is Doug at lodmel.com. That's my direct email. If you have a question or if you want to set up a consult, um, or you can just call my office 602-230-2014. We're in Scottsdale, Arizona. And, uh, but most of our clients are all over the country. We work with, uh, any, anybody in any state, we work all over the country. Um, and, and I'm happy to give a consult and just help you see where you're at. Um, for, for Mike's listeners, I won't charge anything for that. So just, just say, Hey, I heard you on the podcast, the Richard geek, and I'd love to set up a, a call. Um, so Mike appreciate it. It's really been nice to be here and great to talk. Yes, sir. And I appreciate it. And uh, thank you and have fun, much cooler fun in Colorado right now. Yeah. Yeah. For another couple of weeks. There you go. (laughs) Take care. All right. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the Richard Geek Podcast, where we're helping others find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. For today's show notes, including all the links and resources from our show and more information about our guests, visit us at www.therichardgeek.com slash podcast. And don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Share with others who could benefit from listening and leave a rating and review to get the podcast 
podcast in front of more eyes. I appreciate you, and thanks for listening.